be able to be with you here today and to uh, look at God's word together. And I just got to say, it has been a blast being your worship pastor. Ever since Stacy and I have walked through the doors of MRCC, we have felt loved, we have felt appreciated, we have felt supported and encouraged. I mean, this church and its community and its people, we just, we feel a part of something. And this church is really good at loving people. And so I just want to thank you, every single person here in this church body, for just being such a blessing to us. And just know that you're touching the lives of those around you as well. So thank you. Yes, clap it up for them. Come on. We love you guys. Um, but hey, this morning, um, let's open God's Word together. And if you have your Bibles, let's turn it to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. And while you're doing that, allow me to ask this question. What is something you know that you're good at? Something that you know you could win at? Something that you know if faced against an opponent, you would be the victor. You would triumph. Maybe it's a sport. Maybe it's a skill. Or maybe it's a game. You know, in, uh, in our household, we love games. Board games, card games, video games. Well, I love video games. <laughs> but for example, for example, if Stacy and I played Risk, or I guess any video game for that matter, <laughs> I'm going to win. I'm going to win, Stace. You don't stand a chance. I'm sorry. But if we played something like Pictionary, Stacy would whoop me every time. She is a talented artist, and I can't draw for squat. Uh, Pastor Greg, you know, he's been off this whole last week at his uh, War Games convention. I don't think any of us would even want to attempt to try to face him at one of those things. I think you got to be at a whole nother stratosphere of nerd to want to do that. But, but... Oh, Greg, he's not here, so I can talk about him that way. So, Although it is being recorded, and his wife is here. So, sorry, Greg. I love you, bro. Love you. I love you. Um, but I asked this question today because I'd like for us to set our sights on that word victory. And me being your worship pastor, of course, I'd like for us to see how worshiping our king can bring victory in our lives and our walk with God. I've been the worship pastor at MRCC now for about a year and a half, and I've loved every minute of it. And with it being my first time sharing a message from the platform with our church family, I thought it would also be a good opportunity to share a little bit of my story with you. God calls us to share our stories and how he's changed us. And I believe that there's power in our testimonies. You may have heard this quote, only God can turn a mess into a message, a test into a testimony, a trial into a triumph, a victim into a victory. And so today, I look to Psalm 22 for encouragement, where it says, I will tell of your name to my brothers and my sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. So before we get started, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your goodness. God, thank you for your word that we can open and that you could speak to us this word that's alive. 
that we have access to. Lord, I pray that today you could open our hearts, open our ears to hear as we set our sights on you and how this word victory and what worship means and what it can do for us and for you. Lord, we give you this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, church, if you don't know me and my wife, Stacy, we are not from here. We moved here about a year and a half. We're actually from Reno, Nevada. A lot of, this is on a map, a lot of us, a lot of folks do th- assu- have a tendency to assume that we're just from Vegas. From, if some of you say Nevada, people just tend to assume we're from Vegas. But actually, Reno is about seven or eight hours north of Vegas. Um, it is known as the biggest little city in the world. It is also in a valley surrounded by mountains. It gets more snow than Enumclaw gets here. And also, Lake Tahoe is only 30 minutes away. I mean, it is a beautiful lake, but it is oh so cold. So cold. Uh, You may not know this. I'm actually a twin. This is my twin brother, Billy. (laughs) Yes, yes. Oh, yes. This is us at the opening premiere of Star Wars Episode Seven. You know, maybe, maybe Greg isn't at that high stratosphere of nerd as much as I thought. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we had a lot of fun. It was, we had a lot of fun seeing Star Wars. We were also very comfortable. By the way, I highly recommend wearing a onesie to a movie theater. It's the most comfortable thing in the world. Uh, this is my family for, at my br- older brother's graduation last year. That is my dad and his girlfriend on the top right. My brother, Billy. Uh, my older brother, Jackson, and get, get this, his wife is also named Stacy. Uh, that is my mom to the right, Rosie, and my stepdad, Ken. And that is my grandma, Margaret. And, of course, Stacy next to me, my wife. Uh, my wife, Stacy and I, we love games like we mentioned before. We're also pretty big Disney nerds. If you get to know us, you're going to know we are big Disney nerds. We're one of those... Disney nerds who takes an annual pilgrimage to Disneyland every year. And uh, we love pretty much all things Disney, Marvel, all that stuff. We just love it. Um, When I was born, me and my twin brother, we both had health issues when we were born. I was born without a heartbeat, and my twin brother was born not breathing. And so immediately after we were born, they shipped us off to different hospitals in different cities And my mom, this is a really tough time for my mom, but thankfully she had a friend who loved the Lord. And it was during this traumatic time in her life that her friend got to counsel her and got to introduce Jesus into her life. My mom was saved through that traumatic time. And as a result, we got to live in a household where she brought us up loving the Lord. Um, I grew up loving to listen to music, and my parents would play in the house. My dad would play a little bit of guitar. I always knew he, I'd hear him playing Beatles songs or blues music. Um, but unfortunately, when I was in third grade, my parents got divorced, and it was a, a very emotional and difficult time for my family. We stopped attending church at this time as well, as unfortunately some of us do when we hold on too much to our emotions. At this time, I searched for meaning and purpose and an identity, and I found it in music. Um, I started listening to punk rock, angsty music, 
like Blink-182 and Green Day. And my parents would also listen to some angsty music as well during this time. I know my mom listened to Alanis Morissette. My dad listened to Third Eye Blind. We were, again, this was an emotional time for us. But I loved the music. I loved it. You know, I was so into it. The melodies, the, the rocking out, I loved it. So I started messing around with my dad's guitars. And uh, my mom bought me a bass in middle school, my first instrument I ever owned. And from then on, I, I set out to teach myself how to play any instrument that I could get my hands on. Um, around middle school, I started a band, and we were called Wrong Direction. That was our name. I know. That, that could also be the title of this message. Uh, it was through this band that our guitarist, Jimmy, would invite me to his youth group. And actually, last summer, I got Jimmy visited us, and he got to play guitar with us one Sunday. It was a lot of fun. So if you remember seeing some random stranger here one day and never saw him again, that was Jimmy. But he, he invited me to his youth group, and I got to experience just how fun church could be. Because I don't remember church being as fun growing up. I don't know why if there was that kind of stigma or I don't know what it was. But this church was fun. Youth group was fun. And I can tell you, youth group here is also very fun. Probably even more fun. But I know. But, you know, I loved this youth group, you guys. I grew in relationship with the kids, with the church, and especially with our youth pastor, Jason. I loved that dude. Um, one time we went to a youth conference, and it was there that I had my first big God encounter during worship. And I'll tell you what, I got to be honest. The enemy knows when God is about to do something big in your life because he was after me that weekend. Again, just being honest, it was a two-day conference that first day. I looked around at everybody worshiping, and the, the lights were low, the hands were raised, and I just looked around, and I was like, this is kind of, why are, why are they doing this? This is kind of uncomfortable, kind of weird. This is awkward. Is this some kind of cult? These are honest thoughts that were going through my head that first day. And I remember going to bed, just negative thoughts, just whatever. I'll survive one more day of this. But the very next day in worship again, God revealed to me just how powerful his love is and his presence is. Because the second day of worship, nothing changed except that God overwhelmed me with his miraculous love. The music and the words, it spoke to me. And this is where I realized that I was a sinner in need of a Savior, and I gave my life to Jesus that day. One day after thinking this whole thing was a cult, but God met with me. And I began to follow him. I began playing on the youth worship team, and I had my first experience leading worship doing that. And it was such a blast leading worship with the youth. One day we showed up to youth group, and we noticed that the doors were closed. And we couldn't, the, the, our Jason, our youth pastor, never showed up. And we wondered what was going on, and the kids were really confused. And then later they informed us that, come to find out, Jason, who's originally from Canada, him and his family got deported back to Canada because of an expired green card. And we thought, that happens in Canada? I still have hang-ups with Canada to this day. 
God, teach me forgiveness. But you know, it, it messed with me, you guys. I put so much faith and hope in my pastor and not enough in my God. But as a result, again, as before, I fell away from the church. I fell away from my walk. And I began to do some emotional wandering, if you will. Our band broke up, and I began making music as a solo artist. And, okay, now what I'm about to show you, it might shock you, so be prepared. But this is a photo of me during that time in my life. Oh, my golden locks. Yes, as you can tell, I thought I was pretty cool, pretty cool. Look how cool I am. I started to think that a lot. And, you know, I did some stuff that I did think was pretty cool. You know, we got to do some fun stuff. I got to write and record music and play some shows. It was a blast. Me and some buddies, we, uh, we wrote a song about Twitter. And this was right when Twitter got really popular. And uh, we won a songwriting contest with it put on by this singer-rapper T-Pain. I don't know, has anyone seen The Masked Singer on Fox this last year? I, I, people don't want to admit it, but I tell you, that show was so fun. I loved it. But he was on it. He was the monster, and he won. Spoiler alert. You should still watch it. It's really funny. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that was a crazy time. We also got to uh, meet Justin Bieber and record some promos with him on the radio. It was, it was a fun time. He was a goofy kid back then. It was fun. But, you know, things were looking good. But just as it seemed that doors were opening for me to pursue a music career, each door would end up closing. It was like I kept hitting a ceiling but could never break through. And it just messed with me, you guys. I just, that's what I thought I wanted. That's what I thought my, my identity was in. I began to feel less and less cool. And to make myself feel validated, I began to surround myself with some bad influences. I began to hang out in the wrong circles, hang out with the wrong crowds, and unfortunately I started going down a path that was not good for me. However, that's when I happened to meet someone who would change my life forever, a newly saved Christian who was on fire for God and was substantial in helping me rekindle my fire and my relationship with God and this was my now wife, Stacy, ladies and gentlemen. Stacy Buck, you did it. You did it, Stace. Did, she, did you just dab? Stacy just dabbed. Or maybe she was bowing. I don't know, it looked like a dab. But, you know, I got to see her passion for Jesus, and it was on fire. She helped inspire me to pursue him yet again. I decided to put the world behind me and continue full-on pursuit of the Jesus that I fell in love with as a youth. I began courting her, and we were invited by an old friend from my youth days to play bass at a church. And the moment we walked in, we felt welcomed, we felt loved, we felt appreciated for who we were, exactly like how we felt when we walked through the doors of MRCC the first time. And we began attending every weekend after that. Stacy and I were married by our pastor. This is Pastor Dan, and he discipled us very well. 
And it didn't take long for the worship pastor to find out that I played music. And he asked me to join the worship team. And on this team, I was so content with just playing in the background, playing bass, just doing my thing, just slapping the bass, you know. I was totally cool with that. But, but I felt a pull from God in my heart. And also the leadership saw something in me as well. And my worship pastor, Aaron, began to disciple me and encourage me to pursue worship ministry. And, of course, a day would come that our worship pastor would be out of town. He had been leading every day for like two or every Sunday for two years and needed a break. And they asked me if I would be the one to lead. And I was terrified. I felt like I, I can't do this. I felt like I'm not worthy enough to do this. How can I do that? And then I realized, looking back now, that I was placing my identity in the man that I was, but not the man that Jesus died for me to become. My pastor said something to me in that moment that I'll never forget. He looked me in my eyes and he said, Weston, worship is not about you. It's all about him. Leading worship is about pointing people to Jesus. So stop believing the lies and start believing in God's grace. Because you see, church, he's the one who's worthy. He's the one worth singing to, worth praising, worth adoring. And it's because of his unending grace that when we were sinners, he chose to take our penalty. And as a response we worship. And my approach to worship completely changed after that. And God confirmed to us a call of worship ministry, a call that has led us to this very church that we call home. And I can look back at the events of my life and see him at work leading us to this call through the good, through the bad, through the highs and the lows. And church, I wouldn't trade it for anything in this world. And so, the title of this message, Victorious. Church, we live in a world that's filled with strongholds. And worship has the ability to free us from these strongholds while pointing us to the one who sets us free. When I laid down my burdens and let go of my anxieties and my fear and encountered our living God through worship, I experienced victory over my strongholds. I experience victory over my emotional wandering. Worship brings victory. And worship takes many forms. It's a natural response that we all have to apply worth to something, something we give our attention, our hearts, and our lives to. Everyone worships, whether it's the worship of money or our jobs or of icons or pop culture. Our lives reflect worship in everything that we do. And when we worship God, we do so by giving him our attention, our hearts, and our lives. We worship him outside of the Sunday gatherings through serving and through missions and through sharing the gospel and through giving. But as believers, we're also called to worship through praise and declaration. Look to 1 Peter 2.9. It says, But you are a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Worship is an authentic response to all God has revealed himself to be. We worship God for who he is and what he's done. Worship brings victory. God is present when we worship. The scriptures declare that the word of Christ dwells among us when we sing and worship. Read Colossians 3.16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. When we are aware of God's presence when we worship, our songs become more than just the soundtrack of our corporate Sunday gatherings. And it replaces it with an encounter of the living God. And when we step out of our comfort zone and sing these declarations to God, with full belief and full truth and full spirit, that's when a change of heart takes place, church. Worship brings victory. And there is a great story in the Bible, in Second Chronicles, where worship brought forth victory. It's the story of a king, and it's one of my favorite names in the Bible. It's the story of King Jehoshaphat. Stacy, for our future kids, can we name our son Jehoshaphat? She says no. In this story, messengers came to Jehoshaphat, the king of Jerusalem at the time, and told him that three armies have joined together and declared war on him. He gathered his people together at the temple. And back then, gatherings at the temple were usually a time of celebration or a time of giving thanks to God. But with the armies coming towards Jerusalem, you could imagine that their attitudes would be somewhat fearful or even panicked. But let's read how Jehoshaphat and the people of Jerusalem responded regarding the coming conflict. And church, they responded with a prayer. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 9, Jehoshaphat's prayer to God. He said, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress. And you will hear us and save us, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Instead of responding in a panic, Jehoshaphat and the people of Jerusalem responded by giving thanks to the Lord and by asking him to rescue them from this enemy. And you see, they recognized their incapability. They recognized their lack of power to face the armies. And they admitted that they didn't know what to do except put our eyes on the Lord. So church, I ask this question. Are we willing to admit when things are beyond our ability without God? We can admit this to him. We can give him our attention and trust him and worship him. So next, the spirit of the Lord then came upon a man named Jehaziel. 
And the Spirit of the Lord said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Verse 15. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. The Spirit of God, speaking through Jehaziel, told his people to simply stand still and watch as I bring you victory. You gotta think that that would be a little intimidating. To be told to go out, face the army, and just stand there. I mean, that takes a whole nother level of trust. It's like doing one of these trust falls. Have you guys done one of those trust falls? Oh, man, they scare the daylights out of me, I tell you. I, I made the mistake of going on YouTube and looking up trust fall fails. I thought about showing one, but, oh, man, I couldn't. The, the, uh, okay, I uh, don't do it, or do, or don't. But, um, but it takes an enormous amount of trust for the person who's going to be catching you. Listen to what they did next. The people rested in the fact that God was with them, and Jehoshaphat was overcome with gratitude. Verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. So church, I ask this question. Do we trust God like this? And what holds us back? Is it our pride? Is it our fear? Is it possible that when we step outside of our comfort zone and act in obedience and worship him, that he will meet with us in this way? Church, from personal experience, I can say that pride and fear hinders us from admitting our need for him. The next day, King Jehoshaphat and his forces, they marched out to face the enemy. And as they set out, he consulted his people with this. Verse 20, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. But along the way, the king did something crazy. He did something unexpected. Listen to what he does next. Verse 21, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. He appointed singers to lead the army at the head. And they began to sing praises to God. Jehoshaphat would not face this army with violence. He would not face this trouble with sword and shield, but he would face it by thanking God for his unfailing love. As this song of thanksgiving rose to God, something amazing happened. Verse 22, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. 
God caused the enemy force, which was made of three large armies, to go to war against each other. And if you read on, it says that the battle was so intense that not one enemy soldier survived. And finishing this passage in verse 27, Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem. For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem, and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat, excuse me, they entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. You see, God had won the victory just as he promised. And King Jehoshaphat learned that God is always with us and stronger than any enemy that we face. And he learned to fight the battle God's way with worship. So I say again, worship brings victory. King Jehoshaphat faced a fearsome situation, and he did it with trust, and he did it with worship. So I ask you this, can you think back to a time where you had to face a fear? You had to face a troublesome situation or a worry, and you had to face it head on. And it might have caused you anxiety. It might have made you scared or nervous. But you were able to overcome. What gave you the strength? What gave you the confidence to overcome? Shortly after Stacy and I were married, uh, we felt called to a mission trip that we took with some young adults at our church to Thailand. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we got to go on some boat rides and eat some cool food, and we even got to ride on elephants, and uh, they had a really fun uh, kind of foot massage place where fish would come and eat the calluses off your toes. I highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. It was, it was a lot of fun in Thailand, but it also was a very difficult time as well. Uh, we were actually in southern Thailand in a city called Hat Yai, and this was a town kind of filled with some civil war between um, Buddhism and Islam, and there was a lot of tension in the area. It was under martial law at the time as well. Um, it was very difficult, but very impactful. It was a very wonderful time pouring out God's love and grace with the community. And one day, we went up to a Buddhist temple. It was up on a mountain, and it overlooked the city, and it was beautiful. But right away, we noticed a strong spiritual presence there that was not of God. And the whole team felt it. The temple was filled with a lot of distressed people and different statues of different gods. And at the statues, people would be worshiping and reacting in unique and intense ways. And also at this temple was a place where people could light off these big, loud firecrackers. I mean, they were so, it sounded like gunshots. And I tell you, every time we drive by Auburn this time of year, I mean, I get PTSD back to this moment. But there would be piles and piles of the firecracker residue. And when they lit off the firecrackers, these people would scream and they would chant and they would wail. It was very intense. It was kind of frightening. And I felt, I felt very uncomfortable. And I just wanted to leave. I just wanted to get out of there. But our leader made the suggestion that we should set up right in front of the temple and start worshiping God. And me, 
being the one who happened to have a guitar on him at the time, would have to be the one to lead it. I was being told this. And I thought, there's no way I am going to be able to do this. This is the last place I would be comfortable worshiping. I have no idea. I can't do this. I just wanted to get out of there and leave. But with the encouragement of the team and our friends and the peace of God, we prayed, we gave thanks to the Lord, and we proceeded to worship. And church, I can tell you, it's hard to stay scared when we choose to worship. Anxiety, worry, doubt, it falls away when we worship the one that can provide what we really need. And we felt the presence of God so strongly in that time of worship. He was there. And people in the temple felt it too. They started to crowd around us. And these people who were distressed at the temple, who didn't know a single word we were singing, started to sit on the ground with us, crowd around us, smile, attempt to sing some of the, along with us. And they were at peace. And with these songs of worship, the peace came. And as a result of this time of worship, relationships were formed with a few of the people from the temple and the missionary team that we were with. And I can't imagine the extent that God used this moment. So this was a personal example of where worship brought victory. And I know we've heard that term a lot, this message, that worship brings victory. And usually for there to be victory, there first needs to be conflict. And the fact is, church, that we face conflict daily. And worship is a frontline defense against this conflict. Church, worship is war. You see, there is an enemy that hates the worship of God. Remember the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. What was the final test? After showing Jesus the kingdoms of the world, Satan said, All this I will give you, and you will bow down and worship me. You can imagine that if Satan had a job description, the top bullet point on that job description would be to rob Jesus of as much worship as possible. Author Zach Hicks puts it this way. We are on the front lines of a cosmic spiritual war, and we fail to see the fight for what it is, much like fish fail to see water. It's all around us, but our cultural climate has largely made us blind to how real it is. Church, if worship is war, then maybe it's time for us to wake up and prepare for battle. Not a battle in the physical sense, but when it comes to worship, we've got a fight on our hands. We can look at the Psalms, which is God's inspired songbook, and we see examples of corporate worship that is full of conflict, full of struggle, and warring and wrestling enemies. In Psalm 144, it says, Praise be to the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. And in Psalm 8, where it says, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. This war is a multifaceted and multifronted war. And the most obvious front of this war 
is the spiritual battle. And worship is the front lines of humanity's struggle against the enemy. And what or who we are choosing to worship affects this. We can look to the Lord's Prayer, which we say here regularly. And it includes praying for deliverance from evil or the evil one. And worship at its core is nothing more and nothing less than the prayers of God's people in response to God's salvation. And in God's word, we see music as playing an important role in spiritual struggle with David and Saul. When David would worship the Lord in the presence of Saul, demons would flee. And also with Moses and the Israelites. Another front in this war is the worldly battle. We live in a broken world. And it's a world that begs for our attention daily. But when the church assembles to worship and proclaim the death of Christ like we did this morning, it renounces the world and affirms that the one way to experience true life and true meaning is through Christ's death and resurrection. Look at John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Or in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And the final front to this war is the battle of the flesh. Church worship gets personal. It makes us vulnerable. It exposes our flesh for what it is, weak. It focuses our personal need for Jesus Christ and how he's the one who gives us strength, gives us peace. He restores our souls. And we don't have to face our struggles alone. One of my favorite psalms, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And earlier, I shared a story from our time in Thailand. And I experienced the conflict from each battlefront during that time of worship. Spiritual, worldly, and from weak flesh. And in this multi-fronted war, filled with spiritual struggle and a broken world with a sinful humanity, God gives us the tools to fight on all three fronts. He gives us his word. This this Bible is our sword, church. He also gives us the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus said that it was better for him to go, that we may receive the Holy Spirit. And church, he gives us our will to choose to worship. Through prayer, through song, through wise counsel, through community, through sharing our stories through encouraging others. God moves in us when we choose to worship. And when we worship, the gospel is proclaimed. 
And church, the gospel is alive. The greatest weapon that God arms us with is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord fights for us with the gospel. The gospel wins the spiritual battle because of the cross. Look to Colossians. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The gospel, it wins the worldly battle. Because at the cross, Jesus showed that the world's strength and power was insufficient. The ways of the world was flipped on its head. And even death couldn't contain the power of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, where the perishable have been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? And finally, the gospel wins the battle of the flesh because it declares that sin is dealt with and righteousness is provided fully and freely as a gift. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Ephesians 2. In worship, the gospel is the greatest weapon we have. And until Jesus comes to claim final victory once and for all, we must worship and stay committed to that declaration. And finally, how do we lead the charge in the fight against the enemy, and the world, and the flesh? Well, it's by flooding all of worship spotlights on Jesus so that every last one of us can fix our eyes upon worship's one true warrior. For it is he who truly brings forth the victory. Thank you, Jesus. Church, there's an amazing worship song out by Bethel that you may have heard. We've done it here a few times. It is called Raise a Hallelujah. And the lyrics do such a wonderful job expressing the power of worship with words like, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. You're going to hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated. The king is alive. To me, this song sums up everything that our worship is about. And I couldn't think of a more appropriate response to this message than for us to come together and worship our King today. And as we do so, let's reflect on this message of victory. And let's realize that God is with us here and now and always has been and always will be. And let's humble ourselves today before him and allow him to speak to us through this worship as we respond in truth and in spirit and give him our hearts in praise. So church, let us raise a hallelujah together and thank him for who he is and what he's done. Would you stand with me today? And let's also pray to our Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for your presence. 
thank you that your presence is an open door. Father, that we can face you face to face here and now. And we can worship you for all that you've done. And we can admit our struggles to you. And we can recognize and repent that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And God, you meet with us. You fix our eyes on the gospel. You fix our eyes on hero Jesus, the one true warrior, our victor. Lord, you love us so much that you provide a way. You are the one way. So God, we choose to follow you. We choose that through the highs and through the lows, through the mountains and the valleys, we choose to worship. Because by worshiping you, victory is brought forth. So Father, we worship you now in victorious splendor of our King, of our Savior Jesus. We raise a hallelujah to you. Amen. Let us raise a hallelujah together, church, and sing to our God.